Politically Pissed. This is Saeed Charbini, and I'm here with my co-host, Katya. Welcome. And we have a very special guest with us. He's running for the State House, David Ortiz. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being our first person back on the podcast with us since COVID. Coming back with a vengeance. Oh, man. Trying to come back strong. It's the first podcast since COVID. Y este, hemos sobrevivido este, yo con tres meses y dos este, peleas con este COVID, queridos seguidores. Este, y queremos este, presentarles a el, el señor este, David este, Ortiz. Adelante, David. Gracias. Me llamo David Ortiz. My name is David Ortiz. I'm running for the Colorado State House in House District 38, which is Littleton, the western parts of Centennial parts of Columbine Valley and the Bomar neighborhood. So, and the short answer to the reason why I'm running, I mean, you got to look to the cornerstone of my lifetime of public service. We'll have mottos or mantras, right? Mine is, I am because we are, we are because I am, or I am we are for short. And the reason why it speaks to me so much is because it recognizes the way an individual can impact or empower a community, while also recognizing the way the community can impact or empower an individual. So reason I'm running for office is to empower others the way others have empowered me, whether that's through the example of their life, like my grandfather who was infantry in World War II, uh, my dad who was Air Force Academy grad of 79, or my mom who migrated from Mexico when she was only 15 years old. So it was really those values around tenacity, the importance of the community, enduring, and uh, service to others that have kept with me my whole life. Um, in my own life, like I remember my calculus teacher teaching me how to tie my first tie because my dad was gone for training. Or I had a sophomore English teacher to her horror that realized I didn't know what a thesis sentence was and made me stay after school. And even though I didn't appreciate it at the time, <laughs> it served me well, you know. And yeah. you better believe we have Mr. Kennedy's and Mrs. Hutton's fighting for our kids here in the school that need us to fight for them. First job after graduating college was resettling evacuees after Hurricane Katrina. Um, and that's an example of the team pulling together. We had funding from FEMA and Red Cross. We also depended on our private donors, though, to serve the migrant community coming out of New Orleans. Can't use federal dollars to, to resettle them. Um, and also the business community stepped up and would offer prioritized hiring and in some cases free training. So just really the team pulling together to impact the community and get a job done. Obviously serving in the military is a pure example of men and women from all political stripes, all walks of life, putting their differences aside to put the men and women on the ground first. And thank God they do because it came to head in my service. I survived a crash when I was deployed to Afghanistan. Uh, if it wasn't for the medevac being there within five minutes, if it wasn't for the medics working on me right away, the pilots doing their job, the surgeons, the army of physical therapists and occupational therapists that took afterwards, I wouldn't have recovered. I wouldn't have regained my independence. And I wouldn't be sitting here fighting for the privilege to represent the people here in HD 38. And this community has embraced it. They really have embraced I am, we are. We almost saw a doubling of the turnout in the Democratic primary. We've been endorsed by city council members as well as congressional members so it's really about the team pulling together to do the job and we're ready to do that so oh, well, I'm just gonna let the two of you take it from here because Saeed grew up in a military family and this is a real big part of his life too awesome. and I just want you guys to discuss the state of our nation and what it's like growing up in a military families and why this is so important right now I, I like where she's going with that my first question into all that is how many places have you lived now 
Oh, I got let's are we going to go by the by the states? So North Dakota, South Dakota, <laughs> California, Virginia, Kansas, Texas, Louisiana, Arizona. Hmm, I think you might have me beat. But yeah, no, she's right though. Military service is very important and we appreciate our soldiers out there putting their lives on the line and certainly you did so as well. I want to talk about geopolitical impact, but like focus it here on Colorado a little yeah. bit too. There are plenty of people here that join the military for a better life and stuff like that. What sort of things can you promise to people through the government work as far as like jobs or security or any sort of basis like that or any sort of stability in life that like the military gave us? Right. So, I mean, that's that's going to be about working together around some of the issues that are going to create greater equity. Mm -hmm. And for me, like when I say create greater equity, it's about equity of opportunities to make sure individuals can make the most out of their life, whether they want to be a nurse, a teacher, um, custodial worker. Uh, whether they're working wait staff, because let's be honest, we, those are frontline workers. A lot of them, mm -hmm. they didn't get time off. Like I had the luxury of working from home. Not everybody does. And you know who doesn't? It's the ones that, that stock the grocery shelves. It's the ones that are teaching our kids even now, putting themselves at risk in the face of COVID. So, I mean, really a part of that is making sure we're fighting for more affordable, attainable housing. That's a personal issue of mine that I want to work on. The top three issues that come up here the most uh, among my neighbors here in HD 38 is going to be fully funding K through 12. Um, and part of that is working in big ways and smalls, whether we're talking about uh, mill levies and bonds or whether we're talking about getting at the heart of what's underfunding our education system, which is getting rid of Tabor and, and yes. you know, aspects of the Gallagher Amendment. Oh, yeah. um, so, I mean, we, we need to be working on in the big and small ways in like the short term goals and the long term goals and go, go after the root problems as well as the periphery problems uh, to create get a greater equity around that. Con combating climate change is another one that comes up often here in this community. And I really want to see us uh, foster and support a flourishing renewable energy industry. The one area that we're weak on, though, when we do that, that I hear a lot from working families, is that when we are constructing, whether we're talking about wind farms or solar panel farms, that we're bringing in workers from outside of the state, that we don't use best bidding practices and we're not working in benefits or livable wages. And so working families in Colorado aren't able to see the benefits from that. So let me ask you then, because you're talking about <laughs> renewable energies, and I love that section. We talk about creating these new jobs and stuff like that. We're going to be destroying jobs as well. Mm -hmm. And so how do you propose to transfer those people from those uh, oil, fossil fuels, stuff like that, into the new green job era and make sure that that transition doesn't leave, it leaves as few people behind as possible? Right. Well, you happen to be talking to somebody when he was an advocate and lobbyist for veterans of the state capital transition was my mainstay. So the, my keynote bill that I'm the most proud of uh, was the one that mandated Colorado hired institutions grant meaningful credit for military education and training. So here's an example. That's Let, awesome. Let's say you had a brother or sister veteran that had 10 years of communications and IT experience. Mm -hmm. Before this bill, CU was only giving three hours of physical education oh, elective that. credit. Yep. What? Yeah, that's it. For 10 years of taxpayers' money. Yep, yep. <laughs> that's, that's it. Three hours of PE credit. Hey, have fun. We did something for you. Thank you for your service. That I was it, right? I guess that. you ran a lot of miles. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? You know how to <laughs> kick down doors. And, uh, but, and then um, Still, after this bill got passed, PBS NewsHour did a story on it a year later. And veterans and service members, so people that are still currently in, are now getting 20 to 30 credit hours towards a degree of study. You do the simple math on that, $500, $600 a credit hour times three per class times, you know, times the amount of hours. You're saving the veteran that much time and the taxpayer that much money in GI Bill benefits. And veterans are 35% more likely to graduate when they're given credit for things that they already know. I remember growing up, uh, my mother was a nurse in the Air Force, and she got her nursing degree while she was in the Air Force. Yep. And 
I, I don't think she used the GI or anything like that. She mm-hmm. just kind of paid for it herself over like 20 years. Mm-hmm. And they never gave her any credit for what she was doing in the military, which is exactly what she was learning in the school. Yep. And that's ridiculous. Why are we, you know, we, we look when, at the end of the day, I love the thank you for your service, whether that's people assuaging their guilt or what, but it's what are you doing pragmatically? And it's not about a handout. Like we already know that we've learned these skills. I mean, we're talking about medics and nurses that have been in combat and pulled people back from the brink. Yep. That have skills going into class that none of their peers have when they're just starting class. So you're right. This is something that's, that is long overdue. And it really, it's been piecemeal state by state that have been doing better or worse. And we're finally caught up to others. So what this is all to say is that I know how to work with individuals in transition. And the truth of the matter is, too, talking to a lot of the unions is there are jobs that will translate. Mm-hmm. What we need Very to do. True. Yeah. What we need to do is a better job in facilitating transition. I know the state opened up a, a transition office. I want to make sure that that's not just to check the bluff. What are we actually tangibly doing mm-hmm. to make sure we are creating educational and training opportunities and also making sure that, here's the key though, making sure that if they want to stay working in those communities that they've been working in for 10 or 15 or 20 years, whether they're teachers or, or you know coaches for their kids' sports team, that they can still live and work in those communities. That's what we need to be doing. Preach on, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're absolutely correct because a, a lot of times these jobs can't help people support themselves in the communities they live in. Mm-hmm. And so then we, we need to talk about, you know, affordable housing, one, yep. but then also transportation mm-hmm. because getting people to and from places is how we're going to make this work. Denver's growing. Everywhere's growing. People, are, There's more people every day. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to accommodate fitting everybody in here. How do we work towards making sure those the people can earn enough on those jobs and live in affordable housing and still be able to thrive in the communities they're in? So let's take bites at a time, right? Let's yeah, talk, no, let's, that's a lot. I know. Yeah, yeah, let's, 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 talk about afford, let's talk about affordable, attainable housing. That's one issue that can't be solved at any one level. It's not going to be solved in the federal level. It's not going to be solved at the state level. Actually, the level that has the most power in solving affordable, attainable housing is municipal level. Uh, the Littleton City Council yeah. just recently had a meeting on af- affordable, attainable housing, their phase two um, in downtown. And part of the discussion was how many stories we're going to allow, what we're going to allow. And there seems to be this idea, well, if we just create more supply, that's going to fix housing. <laughs> You're right. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> nope. That is not. The, because there, there are units that sit empty in San Francisco. There are units that sit empty oh, yeah. in these cities. Why? Down here, luxury units sit empty all the time. Thank you. Yep. Because, I mean, part of it, too, is big bang for the buck. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, it is – there's an incentive to maximize your profit and, therefore, to build as big a unit that you can get away with mm-hmm. to charge the most you can. And, yeah. and, like, it all goes back to the money. So when you finance these projects and when they get loans from, these, from banks to do this, they promise a certain price point. They would rather sit on those units empty until they're able to meet that price point. Housing is one of those uh, – I don't want to call it a commodity, but it is treated like a commodity oh, that's yeah. inelastic, and that's a problem. Uh, you know, creating mandates within municipal governments, they're the ones that are going to create that. So if you are going to create condos, if you are going to create apartment complexes, creating a floor saying 5%, 10%, whatever they decide, must be affordable, attainable. Mm-hmm. And then incentivizing good actors in our community. So if you make 30% or 20% of units affordable, attainable, then you get tax credits. Or then you can build two floors past what we normally allow people to build. Mm-hmm. So these are different areas or ways that we can start tackling affordable, attainable housing. This, the house next door to my parents sold within a week for over a million dollars. How much did your dad buy? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because my parents bought their house 32 years ago for $60,000. <sighs> 
Um, two years ago. No, th- 32. 32. 32. Okay, sorry. I, missed I was like, whoa. That's, that's <laughs> a little, yeah. my, I asked my dad how much, uh, you know, how old these people are, and he said probably about 41 or 2. And I said, holy shit. Like, what 42-year-old has that kind of money? Mm-hmm. So there must be an immense wage gap between yeah. myself and them. And I want to talk about, too, like going towards that housing affordability because the cost of what it is. We're talking about getting rid of the Gallagher Amendment this year. How is that going to affect taxes on houses and affect people's ability to stay in their home if they have it paid off, like I'm sure your parents do, if their tax bill spikes? Yeah, that's that's why I have an issue. Like, look, we all have we all understand the negative unintended consequences between Tabor, Gallagher and Amendment 23 yes. and how we do or don't fund our education system. I really think the true culprit here is Tabor. I do, I th- too. I yeah. think going after Gallagher first, especially in a time where housing is so expensive here. Well, they tried is, Tabor first and it, and failed. it failed many times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many times Bruce tried, though? Like, we need to be as tenacious as that guy. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. t- like five, six, you know, he never, yeah. ever stopped, and he never gave up. Mm-mm. What, we tried twice, three, three times? Two, three times. Yeah, yeah, that's, no. You Every time we need to bring it forward, mm-hmm. every time. Point, though, is, like, I question the wisdom of going after Gallagher first. I know we're having an issue with school funding, and, and like, that's I— That's where it comes from. Right. K through 12 is, is one of the biggest issues here, so I, I, I empathize with that, but— we have individuals that are already almost priced out of their homes for the taxes that they have to pay. Mm-hmm. Because when they did move here and buy a home, it was 60000 versus half a million that it's worth now. Oh, it's a, a million. million. A million. Okay, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah even, I mean, even what, worse, yeah. When I first moved here, I, you know, I, I got this place for under two, under $200,000. You will never find no. oh, that in no. this community. No, no, no. You won't. And, I, you know, I get a benefit in that if you're a 100% service-connected disabled vet, you get 50% discount on the first 200,000. Same if you're over oh, a certain wow. age. Same, it's like the same homestead senior mm-hmm. point though. Like we have individuals that are already struggling to, to afford housing and then absolutely. also to afford rent. Cause yeah. you don't think that cost is gonna be passed on to those that oh, rent. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I question the wisdom of going after that first, but you know, we, I think we did this to ourselves in the state. I mean, I, I mean, this happened before I moved here and this yeah, happened right. before, same. you know, yeah. but you know, the un- we need to really address Tabor, Gallagher, and Amendment 23 together. I-, I think going after Gallagher first, I question the wisdom of that when housing is so expensive already. Yeah, well, that was my whole point, yeah. <laughs> uh, I've had an issue with it, too. I know a lot of people are behind it, but, yeah, I, just, I see that tax bill coming, and I know it's not, like, yeah, not going to help a lot of people. No. I'm going to turn this around a little bit, and... I actually work as a contract tracer for night right now for Denver Health, and I'm 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 actually working in communications for them to outreach to the Latino community, and I had COVID myself for, God. The yeah, effects twice. of I had it twice. Jeez. So I was sick for six months. I'm glad you're here still with us. Yeah. yeah right? <laughs> it was very scary. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually the first time we've seen each other since. Yeah, it was March. Yeah. March. The beginning. I'm here of for the reunion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what I see, what I hear a lot is people, my husband lost his job because of it. Mm-hmm. He had to take, he had to quit his job. I lost my job because of it. We're very lucky to have jobs now. Um, this is hitting people immensely hard economically. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are losing, are just hanging on by a, literally a, a bell or two. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any ideas if you're elected, how how to keep people who are mentally unstable because of the the pressures they're under um, medically unstable Mm -hmm. and in their houses right 
Right. So I think the way we need to, the way I would look to approach this is, is triage. I hate to make the analogy of that, but no, it is. It, it really is. is. We have such a huge budgetary shortfall already, and it's only going to get worse. Right? That's realistic. Yep. And we have a federal government that's not doing their job. Literally, the federal <laughs> government, like the federal government was, was established to support the states in times of emergency, right? Mm-hmm. Wars pandemics yep. i think these are natural disasters like these all count right they yeah. are the emergency yeah right and yeah. and they're just not <laughs> i mean and then plus we have a leader who says i'm not dealing you know i'm not giving any more money or any more aid nope just kidding i'm changing my mind and i want to give more money than both the democrats and republicans what's he going to say tomorrow i don't know this is all very problematic so i think the real solution is going to be upon the voter i'm going to be real honest and going to reflect that back on the <laughs> voter it's up to y'all out there because this, what we have going on right now is a dysfunction and it's only going to make COVID worse. If you don't like the way this is, this pandemic has played out, if you don't like the fact that we're fighting over basic science, like about wearing masks, if you don't like the fact that we have Tri-County Health trying to pull out of a mask, mask mandate, Douglas County trying to pull out of Tri-County Health and mm-hmm. trying to push back against the mask mandate as we're reintegrating kids back into school, it's up to you to vote for leaders that, depend, that, that believe in science and data and facts, to vote for leaders that understand what their role is and understand what the role of the federal government during a time of a disaster, that's when you go into deficit spending. That's when you create the economic stimuluses, but it shouldn't be billion dollar bailouts just for the big industries. It needs to go to the working family. Being stingy with working families, but having an open piggy banks to some of the larger industries is not a recipe to fix this. You're touching on something I really want to talk about. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so we're talking about the stimulus packages and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So they gave trillions of dollars out, right? Mm-hmm. How much are owed in student debt? Total? Are yeah. we talking about? I, I <laughs> no, no, just federally, no. just federally. I, I would it's about one point six, one point seven trillion. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Is that not covered by the amount of money they just gave all all those big? We businesses? could just wipe out student debt. Yep, and then think about the swing in the economy from that. Mm-hmm. Think about all the people that can go get loans, start businesses, do yep. things like that. Yep. As soon as all this is over. Yep. Well, I mean, we, we know that the system has created a rig to keep people indentured. That, that's the it way is. I look at it. That's, I mean, I got a scholarship to go. Puffs? Yep, <laughs> I do. <laughs> uh, but I, I got a scholarship to go. But what they did was they gave me a full scholarship. They increased tuition. They didn't increase my scholarship. So I had to take out loans. Like, I didn't come out of it with as many loans. But, like, it wasn't until I left military service that I finally paid off all my student loans even. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and it's stunting the economic prosperity of this nation and of our young adults that period like we're not able to buy homes we're not able to start families and and pay into all of the other services that we would be paying into because of that i mean there there, something needs to be done about that absolutely right and i think investing in our own citizenry always yields the best returns whether we're talking about affordable attainable housing whether we're talking about health care whether we're talking about education so those are the things that i believe in how do we pay for it well that's why I need all of you. That's why I need everybody to be working together. I have my expertise that I bring to the table. Obviously, living life in a wheelchair and inspecting spinal cord injury units at VAs across the country, I know something about healthcare. I know a little bit about education, especially higher education, because I've been working with veterans in transition. But what we've got going on with Tabor and Gallagher and K through 12, I can't do this alone. No. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, our friend Josh. Yeah, Josh. <laughs> Josh from Aurora. Josh W. from Aurora. Oh, <laughs> I won't say exactly what he says. No, I mm-hmm. never made him. No. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Okay. Josh would like to know. 
How will you stand up for constituents when you cannot even stand up for the Pledge of Allegiance, David? Uh, so just so you all know the context out there, uh, Josh is also a wheelchair user himself. Though, so that's a, that's a little... Uh, like an inside joke? Yeah, it's a little cripple pun there. I'm going to use that word. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to appropriate that word. folks. Yep, that's right. So um, let me tell you, though, I've got pretty long arms, and I can get real big if I try to. So um, I may be seated, but, I, but if I'm next to you and I'm getting really heated and passionate about an issue and informed about an issue, I'm, I'm going to feel taller than you. I promise you that. So that'll be my answer to Josh. And I'm sure he's been around me sometimes where he felt like I was about six feet tall. Josh is a bit of an asshole. <laughs> a lovable asshole, though. Yeah, lovable he is. Um, it, people like, and here's the thing. Back in about 2014, Josh... Chris Hines and mm. myself and uh, Hillary Jorgensen. There was a lot. Of, there were a lot of us. Mm-hmm. We were thinking, uh, okay, there has never been a disabled legislator, Mm-mm. and it looks like you may be the first one. Yeah, I mean, at got, the Capitol, Chris Hines. Like, yeah, yeah. So you're the third person who's running for office that we've interviewed with in a wheelchair. Yeah, yeah we so. had Kaylin, yeah. uh, yep. Chris, and, then, yeah, Chris and Hines, yeah. uh, but how is it going to be accessible? Yeah, so I got to give a big shout out to Chris Hines first because I remember Senator Patterson trying to recruit me to run for office. Um, and I loved advocating lobbying for veterans, so I wasn't sold on it yet. But seeing him being able to do it, and this is why representation matters, right? It seeing does. him being able to do it um, and navigate it and do it well really motivated me, inspired me. So, first of all, big shout out to Chris Hines, big ups to that. Um, but he did a good job. Yeah, he did. He ran a great campaign and he fighting tooth and nail, man. It was great to oh, watch. Yeah. yeah, it was great to watch. Um, but as far as the state capitol being accessible, I got to also give credit to Madam Speaker. She reached out, I want to say as early as August, and was like, I know you're not elected yet, but this is something we need to fix anyways. Um, so we would love for you to come in and talk to us about short-term, medium-term, long-term plans on the ways we can make it accessible, one, for day one, for when you get there, like the, what we need to do to make sure everything's ready to go so that you can do your job. Um, and then the medium term so that by the end of the session or a little bit after that to where the rest of the building can be more accessible and then kind of the ideal. So Mm -hmm. here's an example. So like the short term would be, I need to at least be able to get on and off the floor. Because <laughs> currently, yeah. currently it's I was not. Literally thinking about asking you that. <laughs> is it is it accessible? Like, no, no, it's not. It's not. So and it's it's frankly it's frankly maddening. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's under the auspice of it's a historical building. Like, mm-hmm. it's oh, that's always been the line that's been fed to me, even as a lobbyist, mm-hmm. because sometimes the lifts would be broken, and, you know, you, you might not see it now because you're seeing COVID weight and you're seeing campaign <laughs> weight, like you're seeing. But, like, when I was a lobbyist, I was about 20 pounds lighter. So when the when the lifts were broken, I was climbing the stairs in my wheelchair by myself. Holy cow. I've you seen wanna, several people do that. Yeah, you want to scare the sergeant at arms. That's mm-hmm. how you do it. They're like, ooh, nope, no. you know, but, um, but that's not okay. Like, no. we shouldn't, like, and like if you mess up you're you're taking a tumble down those stairs too Mm -hmm. so it's a safety issue first like first and foremost but also that's the people's house Mm -hmm. it is and you can't call it the people's house and hide behind the the facade of historical building and call yourself you can't call yourself the people's house if it's not accessible retrofit it they yeah and that's kind of what i gave them ideas to like there are places you could put ramps instead of lifts to get into the lobby there's places you could put ramps and still respect the aesthetic of the building. There's, pl- there's space yeah. to do that, and there's a way to do that. It's about yeah, having the will. Mm-hmm. And this is why representation matters, because all of a sudden there's the will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know kids with disabilities can look up and say, hey, one day I too can be a legislator. Amen. Yes. Amen. Also, uh, okay, let's say you do get elected. Representative uh, Patrick Neville. Um, oh, gosh. He's uh, pretty much 
he does not think well it's he's not really let's say he's a fan of covid okay he he's a buddy of covid uh how how would you uh how would you take this on his idea of pulling out of tri-county health he has he already has put forth legislation is what i hear mm-hmm. right well i mean adding to the majority is going to help and the fact that you're adding somebody that believes in data and science and facts is going to help um and there's analogies i wouldn't say there's analogies that you can use when you're speaking to your peers in front of everybody that will shame them but yeah you can shame them <laughs> i mean everybody wants to and i go back to i'll say there is a veteran privilege especially when it comes to conservatives they want to wrap themselves up in the flag all the time and say thank you for your service i mean we wear we train wearing chemical gear all the time mm-hmm. or we wear night vision goggles so we can wear stuff in front of our faces all the time in combat and you can't wear a dang cloth over your mouth to protect your fellow citizens? What kind of patriot are you? Don't point at me. No, I'm just, <laughs> sorry. I'm pretending I see him right now, so talk to him. But, like, just in general, anybody that doesn't believe in a mask, like, my first question is, have you thanked a veteran for their service? Just because I can go at it from that angle. Then you, And you won't even, like, you, you really want to thank me? Put a cloth in front of your face. Mm-hmm. Why don't you respect social distancing guidelines? Why don't you have your events outside? This is, it does, this, this virus does not care what party you belong to. It doesn't care your socioeconomic level. Viruses are instinctual. They, they are opportunistic. They will go where they can. They will infect who they can. And if you're not a part of the solution, then I'm going to question your patriotism. If you don't care about your fellow American enough to wear a cloth in front of your face, then I question your patriotism. I think your point is pretty much there, though, in the sense that they're not the majority. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah. and we, and you know, any bills like that that they try and bring forward, Shut just down. vote it down. Yeah. yeah. And be the example, though, too. Be the yeah. example. Yeah. Well, speaking of it doesn't like discern between parties. Mm -hmm. President Trump got COVID and is apparently already cured. (laughs) Was that like a week? Uh, I, I think we need to move around (laughs) from this, this idea of what strength really, what Mm -hmm. this toxic idea of strength. Mm -hmm. Because honestly, I think it takes more strength to show vulnerability. It takes more strength to be honest with your voters and your constituents and show them that you go through the same things they do. I, I think it was a real opportunity. And now, let's be honest. I didn't expect him to all of a sudden become a good human being. And oh, all, like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, obviously not. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, it's a missed opportunity, one that I'm not surprised that he missed. But, like, and I'm also not the, surprised by the way he acted. Like, uh, I'm just not. Yeah. It's a shame. It's, it's how he is. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yep. My further point I want to get to is he took an experimental dose of antibodies, mixture, mm-hmm. a cocktail, they called it. It goes to the health standards. You talked about, you you know, health standards. Mm-hmm. Like, what sort of standard would you need to know that it's safe and, and you would feel comfortable promoting it to people as far as a vaccine or something like that? Well, I mean, I would I would trust the FDA. Like, I would trust FDA, the scientists yeah. and the doctors and let them do their work. Like, science should not be politicized. The work that doctors do should not be politicized. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where we've gotten to as a nation, mm-hmm. and it's really disturbing i mean i look around and see the racial injustice i look around and see this leader that admires dictators and wants to act like a dictator frankly i mean he wants to act like he's a superman Mm -hmm. when he's got a team of 10 doctors and access to the best Best medical medical care ever yeah Yeah. not remember not everyone gets access i mean ask his friend herman herman cain about that yeah right ask his friend herman cain about that how that went for him versus how that went for trump you know what i mean and Chris Christie is not oh, doing yeah. well. Dude, like, there's a swath of them just got it recently. He he might be very sick. Yeah. He might be. 
and it's a shame it did like it didn't have to go this way nope. that's the thing that blows like it we don't have to be here and i think of my brothers and sisters of color and not of color that didn't get to come home Oh my God. That's, I mean, like I can think of one of, uh, you know, the only other Mexican-American pilot I knew in my squadron who was like a mentor to me is from, you know, whose family was originally from Texas, like my family was originally from Texas and not here with us. But he was the one when I first got injured that was like, brother, you're still here for a reason. I know you don't want to hear that right now. And I didn't, you know, because mm-hmm. when you go from being a runner yeah. and yeah. a leg walker to not even being able to sit up in bed under your own power, it really yeah. messes with your head. Yeah. But he's like, I believe you're here. You're the smartest one among us. Like, and you're a policy wonk. I think you're here to serve, you know, this country and this community still. They don't get to be here. Mm-hmm. And if they could see where we're at as a country now, they didn't die for this crap. They didn't die so a president can politicize a mass. They didn't die so that a president could attack franchising voters can attack safe and secure mail-in ballots they didn't die for this crap so that a cop can kneel on a color a person of color's neck for nine minutes they didn't die for this crap we'll start with i guess mail-in ballots Mm -hmm. i like that part where you brought that up Uh, mail-in ballots are commonplace here yep uh trump has been denouncing them around the country obviously colorado has a, a history with it we've done really well with it we're very open. Do you see that as sort of a future way that everybody's going to go? And I know it's being politicized now by Trump, but do you think mail-in ballots are secure? I know they're secure. Yeah. Um, the most franchised I've ever been is living in Colorado. And I think it, like for, for those that are elderly and have mobility issues, for those that live with a disability and have oh, mobility yeah. issues, mm-hmm. for those that are working two or three jobs, hardworking families in Colorado mm-hmm. can still have their voice heard because it makes voting accessible. And at the heart of it, isn't that what we're supposed to be as the beacon on a hill? All-inclusive. Thank you. Yep. I mean, as, as the democratic republic, the constitutional democratic republic that's supposed to be the ideal, mm-hmm. it's supposed to be franchising voters and protecting and advancing that most sacred right to vote. And we have a president that is actively undermining it. Why? Does he really believe it's not secure and safe? No. Because he, <laughs> he thinks, he thank yeah, you. Because exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he thinks it's going to help him in the election. This president mm-hmm. is all about himself. In case you haven't seen that, I know everyone out there realizes it, but yeah. just in case you haven't, anybody that attacks him, that's the enemy. Whether they're a gold star parent, whether they're you know a colonel like Colonel Vindman, whose family yeah. fled from uh, you know the Iron Curtain, yeah, yeah. fled yeah. from Russia during the Cold War. I mean, attacked a gold star parent, attacked the service of John McCain. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. This is who this president is. And we need to move past this. We need leaders that are going to bring out the best in us and inspire the best in us, not drag out the worst in us for their own personal and political gains. Okay. What's your theory on why he attacks, attacks veterans? I mean, really, he, <laughs> he, he loves veterans that love him. Yeah. Well, and actually, I want to add on to that because yeah. historically the military has been Republican. They're, yeah. they're usually more red. How is that? Have you like? Are you in contact with any people that you knew from the service still? That have they told you they're swinging sort of the other way now? Like, you you have that connection. So, what sort of things have you seen? Because I know I'm seeing sort of uh, go in the middle sort of way. I mean, a lot of I, like we are seen stereotyped as being conservative. We are. Yeah. I would say what is actually more generally true is that the majority of service members and veterans don't like to take a side. They like That's to believe. Kind of at, yeah. They like to believe that 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 we can put country before party. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And an example that I've seen that even in my own race, like I can think of two brothers right now. Shout out to them, even though they're conservative, still love them. <laughs> uh, Reginald Oliver, you know, pilot of color, flies Apaches, and John Hunt from Native American tribe, the Lumbee tribe, flies Apaches. They're both Republicans. 
they both contributed to my campaign. With, and I'll say this with the word, like one of them, I forget which one said it, but with the words, I've never given to a Democrat. <laughs> I probably never will again, but I, I know your heart. I know your love for this country and I trust your service. We won't agree, but I support you, brother. And that's what we need more of, honestly. Like, that's say, what how do we, we get more people to that point? I, I mean, I, I, I could give it the easy answer, which is probably not 100% factual and say get more veterans elected. But yeah. um, I, I just I feel like we know what it is to have differences among ourselves mm-hmm. and still know what it is to love each other. Because at the end of the day, yeah, we love our country. But when you are in combat and people are trying to kill you and it's really about the people to the left and right of you, like that's nobody's Republican then nobody's Democrat then it is you're my family they're trying to get you I've got them like that's that's how it works you know not to mention love of country so yeah well I mean short of putting everybody in a war zone (laughs) 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 yeah like how do we go about accomplishing this like oh man I mean all I've got is a little I'm not going to pretend to have all the answer I mean what I'd like to see that I think would be a part of a bigger solution that we need to start going after is um, supporting leaders, whether it's community activists or elected leaders um, in our community that that can inspire the best in us. Not that I'm saying that they have to compromise their values and like, because look, there's some Democrats that don't want to even be in the same room as Republicans and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And that's just yep. the way it is. Very t- much more so now than before. Amen. I mean, it's yeah. almost become just as important or more important than religion is your party fo- affiliation. It really has. Yeah. It's kind of sad. And I don't like it. No. no. I don't think that's too we were meant to be as a country not at all no yeah. and i think george washington even warned us about the two-party system oh, absolutely yeah so i i think it's about really voting for leaders that are going to inspire the best in you voting for leaders that aren't in love with power voting for leaders that understand the dynamics of power and wealth they say some of the best leaders are the ones who don't want to lead i didn't want to run for office at first i'm, yeah, gonna, be, I'm gonna be i'm gonna own it right there <laughs> like i you know but there were so many people here in hd 38 that were like yeah we would love to have you as a candidate. There were so many elected leaders across the state that were very supportive. And I feel like service is an addiction for me. Mm-hmm. And if people ask me to serve in whatever capacity that is, I'll answer that call, whether that's in the nonprofit space and the work that I've done, the veteran space or in office, mm-hmm. you know? So, but I, I mean, I don't want to be a career politician. I don't want to do this forever. No, no, not a good idea. <laughs> I, well, I, don't, I don't, I don't think our founding fathers had that in mind either. Like I want to no. pass on the reins. I want to, like use my platform and and my you know my power whatever that ends up meeting my political currency to train the next generation of of up and comings whether they want to run for city council in Littleton or Centennial or for this seat in the future or for the senate seat or even run a look if they're a better candidate than me good on you let's do this then yeah. i don't have to be the one in charge and i think that's something that you learn in the military is if mm-hmm. someone has better skills than you and it. is worth following then you follow them if you're that person and nobody else is stepping up, then that falls on you. That's your responsibility then. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I don't know. I think you start voting for character. Yeah. Um, is It would be my short answer. I know that sounds naive and idealistic, but there it is. It is, but uh, that's one of the more honest answers I think we've ever gotten here. True. I'll say that. <laughs> I'm yeah. politically pissed, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude. No. <laughs> for sure. Um, no, I appreciate that. I do. Do you have you guys seen this, the the documentary The Social Dilemma about Facebook? Oh yeah. no, I've no, seen no, I've seen not. it, but I haven't watched it yet. Like I've seen it on the Netflix thing, it's like recommending it for you, yeah. but I haven't seen it yet. It's it's important to watch because I think it it's not just about social media, but it's about how our country's being divided because we're stupid, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and well, that goes back to public education, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, 
and I think uh, people just people want easy answers, and not and it's not easy, and it's not just black and white. And I think we might be on the verge, not of not maybe of a civil war, but of Culture war or uh, it's getting it's getting heated. People people are killing each other, and they 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 foil the plan to uh, ki- kidnap and uh, murder uh, Gretchen oh. Whitmer. Yeah, the governor yeah. of Michigan, and yep. that is terrifying. Mm-hmm. And they they want a civil war. Some people do want a civil war, and I think it it does go back to public education. It does go back to people you know needing to read books. And it got, does go back to people willing to talk to each other instead of just uh, do tweets and Facebook posts. Amen. It's easier to speak to the machine than it is to a person. Yes. Absolutely right. Because then you have to take the time to get to know the person, yep. get to understand where they're coming from and empathize with mm-hmm. them. And that's a lot scarier, more difficult than liking a post or sharing a post, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we can get esoteric with it, and I feel like we – a part of the human condition and we as humans need to realize that if we don't really start learning the hard lessons and keep perpetuating those lessons to our kids and our grandkids and we're gonna have to learn them the hard way uh-huh. i remember watching that video made after world war ii as a don't be a dummy don't be a sucker have you seen that or no I don't think I have. where someone is espousing hateful speech no. in the middle of a street and one of them starts buying into it and there's another gentleman that's next to him it's, and then he's like don't be a sucker we fought a war about this yeah. this happened like five years ago you don't remember this this is yeah. what he's doing and I think we're so far removed from the time where we would lose thousands of people. I mean, entire like units in the military would have an attrition rate of 65%. Can you imagine out of a platoon of 40 people losing 65% of your friends? Can you imagine being a civilian and having your village attacked where the buildings are destitute and over half of you die? We don't know what that's like. Well, there's certain countries where they still do. Fair. But we in this country don't know what that's no, like. we don't. We're getting there if we're not careful. That's exactly my point. You're dead on with that. If we don't learn from the lessons of the past... We're going to have to relearn them, and it's going to be worse for us of a nation, as a nation if we have to relearn them. You don't think that China and Russia are chomping at the bit for us to be in disarray and discord? Waiting. <laughs> yep. Because yep. <laughs> they know they can't beat us, so that's why they're a part of dividing us, too. They're a part of that machine. But Okay, so that goes back, and I want to talk – you reminded me with the social network stuff like Facebook, Russia mm-hmm. putting stuff on Facebook. At what point do we call it free speech versus – interference with election because i'm not talking about going into voting machines and hacking them because that's that's clearly interference with election i'm talking about just propaganda like is that considered free speech like we we try to hold these sort of ideals of people can say what they want does that only apply to americans how do we approach that well again this goes back to the whole learn from lessons from our history we went through this with with print media back in the late 1800s and early 1900s where they could just say whatever they wanted. And we created laws around that because things got really bad. Mm-hmm. Are we going to have to let things get really bad for social media before we create laws, mm-hmm. libel laws around spreading propaganda, holding people accountable? The fact that these platforms are able to make so much money yet not be accountable for what's spread throughout it is unacceptable, mm-hmm. absolutely unacceptable. So we as a nation can be proactive and learn from, learn from our lessons of the past, or we can wait until we start losing more lives and wait until things we become more divided and things become more untenable and have a reaction and have to deal with that. So, I mean, it's up to all of us. So at what point in, as individuals are we not needing to be smart consumers of information? We're not smart. That's the problem. That's part of the and it goes back to the education still. So it always goes back to education. Yep. Um, but also, I believe uh, there it's already happened. Uh, QAnon and oh God, yeah. a, a lot of people, uh, whatnot, people yeah. are just, it's, it's hate speech. It's hate speech. Yeah. 
and we're seeing it with Gretchen Whitmer with uh, the guy in Kenosha we're seeing it with just people just going out and killing people and that's that's hate speech and it's being fomented online people at Facebook who've been there will tell you that I think it's a function of education but really you don't need I don't think I'll say this in my opinion I don't think you need education to be a good human being no I don't like I I'd say it probably helps though it does I mean it, it, it's kind of like a shield that prevents you from being manipulated exactly. and it, like so I will say that but you don't need education to be a good human being no um, and look here's 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 the declaration that I'll make right now if the FBI comes out and says this organization or that organization is the biggest threat I'm gonna condemn them the fact that I have and I'll say this I'll go back to this that I have conservatives that I've served with when this story broke around a militia trying to kidnap a governor that posted nothing about it, that said not a word about it, how can you call yourself a patriot? How dare you? Are you kidding me? Yeah. We need to have some integrity and consistency in decency and in truth. And I, it just blows my mind. It really, truly yeah. does. I can't. I can't. I can't agree with you more. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were going to kidnap police. They were going to kidnap uh, all sorts of yeah. officials. It's it, it doesn't. At the end of the day, does it matter who they kidnap? It's it's wrong. Oh yeah, no, for sure. And and I'll be clear. Like I want to be clear too. Like we should. We're too wealthy. We're too. We're in this country. We have too many opportunities to solve our problems without violence. Oh yeah. We truly have that ability. And again, we just need leaders that inspire that. Again, that's the problem. Is we don't have enough leaders that are inspiring the best in us. Most of our leaders are now just in a hot zone at the White House and Pentagon. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the, the super spreading zones. Right. Uh, um, well, on so that happy note. Great. <laughs> yeah, like, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for final thoughts. Uh, it's the first one back. It feels great. <laughs> uh, my final thought is I watched the debate last night, the uh, vice presidential debate. Uh, I felt like Kamala... Okay, so I'm going to start off with, uh, if you don't know, I don't like DAs. Not at all. I felt like her performance was very much in in line with what a DA would do, but at the same time articulated very good things and really came back at Pence in a way that I don't think would rub anybody the wrong way, And, and I like what she had to say. I feel like she made her points. She put her points... Now I'm just thinking about the fly. I'm sorry. <laughs> stole the night, right? Yeah, it stole the night. Uh, but no, I think she did a, a fantastic job articulating her point. She didn't get off topic. She didn't get frazzled. She stuck to it. She held to it tight. And Pence really just did not answer a single freaking question, but neither did Trump. So what do we expect? Yeah. Yeah. But that's my final thought. Final thought for the day. I think we need a a debate monitor who's an ethnic mom or dad because they wouldn't handle oh, they would have oh my god yes amen <laughs> they would not fall for any of that shit they would be throwing <laughs> shoes Donald uh, Trump would get hit in the head with a shoe or any a chanclita <laughs> chanclazo <laughs> that is my final thought fair that's a good one uh, mine won't be as as funny or as witty uh, uh, but yeah. You know, I'm glad I could be the first one back, so I appreciate Thank that, guys. Thank you again, yes. I guess this is where I want to go with my final thought. Before, you know, I'm a first-time candidate. Before I was a candidate, even before I was an advocate or lobbyist for veterans, I was a voter. I was a citizen. Third-generation service member, first-generation American on my mom's side. Someone that sacrificed and served this country. That wants good leaders. That 
yeah, we have our policy platform, but that can work together and put country before party and can inspire the best in us. I miss that. I miss having that. So my final thought is for the, for the voters out there listening, please understand the power in your vote. And you're not voting for the candidate. I know candidates are asking you for the, their vote, but you're voting for the rest of us. You're voting for your neighbors in the community. You're voting for people across the state of Colorado. You're voting for the rest of the citizens that live in this country. You're, that is your power. So make sure that you vote. Please vote. And make sure you're voting for quality over anything else in the character of an individual. I know that sounds idealistic, but really that's, that's my final thought. I'm tired of being this divided. I'm tired of fighting with friends and family. Yeah, we're gonna have our differences, but I, I, I want things to evolve past this to where we can be united again. Um, so that's my final thought. As far as this campaign goes, you know, we are charging hearts on November the 3rd. Um, you know, I wanna thank the community in HD38. Running for office is hard, but y'all have made it a joy. Truly you have. And for the um, elected leaders out there that have been mentoring me and been helping me out through this process, thank you. Because running for office is tough. Running from a wheelchair is even harder. Um, and things look good, but we can't take anything for granted. So if you're looking for ways to help out, please visit the website. Or even if you want to learn more about the bills that I've worked on, my past and present service, and what I want to do in the future, check out the website. It's just going to be www.davidortiz, that's O-R-T-I-Z, colorado.com. Or you can follow us on social media, too. It's just going to be at David, D as in dog for my middle initial. It's Daniel, by the way. Um, so it's David D. Ortiz, CO. So hope you guys follow. Hope you guys be in touch. And please don't hesitate to email, call. Let me know your professional, personal experience and how we can make this state better for all of us. And donate. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, we can't take anything for granted. We're actually about $6,000 away from our goal See? for our fundraising goal for the cycle. We That's can awesome. do this. Yeah. Awesome. Wait, do you know how good that feels? <laughs> it's like oh, the light at the end amazing. of the tunnel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you guys can help us get there. You guys can be a part of uh, helping us get across the finish line there too. But, you, you know, I know a lot of people are hard up in the time of COVID-19, even if it's a dollar. Like I can't tell you yeah. when I do see those dollar contributions on Act Blue. That almost means more to me than anything else because I know those are people that are hard up but still are like, you know what? This is all I can give, but I'm giving it. Mm -hmm. yep. So that means a lot. Right on. Well, thank you again for joining us. Yep. We really appreciate it. Uh, everybody want to say goodbye? Stay healthy and safe out there, y'all. Remember, vote, vote, vote. Vote. Good night, everybody. That's it for Political Piss. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Yeah, guns close doors to the system. Yeah, fuck them when we say we're not.